for 25 years. Nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Highway to Hoover podcast, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. We're continuing our weekly series of discussions with beat writers from around the SEC baseball footprint to kind of get impressions from the local level about teams so far this season. This week, we're going to talk South Carolina baseball with Michael and Nana from the state newspaper. Lots to talk about with the Gamecocks so far, but uh, we will get to that in a second. But first, I have to let you know that this Highway to Hoover podcast and all Highway to Hoover podcasts this season are brought to you by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Thanks again to Brock's Gap for sponsoring Highway to Hoover this season. Very much looking forward to our special event, a live podcast at Brock's Gap the night before the SEC tournament begins. So uh, more details to come on that. But thanks again to Brock's Gap. Uh, Mr. Lanana, Michael, I'm happy to have you on the show. Um, someone who uh, quick story i guess we'll let the listeners in on it uh i owe in some ways my career covering college baseball as an actual career to michael and anna in in some ways uh michael was at baseball america before i was and we had kind of met briefly you know i think in omaha was the first time we'd met but you know michael uh, left to do some other things and when he left uh, baseball america had a had an opening and uh your boy was able to uh, slide in there. And so if you if you like the work I've done it at BA and now at D1 Baseball, you have Michael to thank. Also, if you hate the work I've done at Baseball America and D1 Baseball, you have Michael to thank. So now now you know where to send your angry or thankful emails, tweets, things, things of that nature. But that being said, uh, Michael, I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, obviously, I had a great time at Baseball America. My time there got to cover a lot of college baseball teams, got to travel a lot, got to see a lot of the country, but uh, settled down here in Columbia, focused on the the one program here, and uh, I've enjoyed Columbia. It's been a good time, and it's, hey, it's, you know, it's a fun program to cover as well. There's a lot of fan interest here in, in the team, which makes for a really fun atmosphere. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, my only my only regret, of course, is that we ended up at Baseball America kind of as ships passing in the night. Um, <laughs> you and I have a similar, uh, you know, um, love of silliness and ridiculousness and, and, you know, uh, having fun with it in a, in a way that I think is, is how I approach covering the game. And so the, the fact that I was never, never really able to be colleagues with you is kind of, kind of a bummer, but, uh, I am happy, however, as we segue into actual discussion of South Carolina here that to have you covering baseball on a local sec beat, cause you do a fantastic job. There's South Carolina's because of the fan interest you allude to has a number of folks who do a good job there and the program is well covered. Let's start with the the most broad question. Uh, through four weeks of play, as we get ready for SEC play this weekend, what are your just big, broad takeaways from the season so far? I think the number one is this pitching staff is legitimate. 
you, you see you see all the arms that they trot out, arm after arm, touching the mid nineties, hellacious breaking balls. Uh, just guys who have the stuff to be successful, especially in a in a league like the SEC that's loaded with those kinds of arms. So that that's the first thing. If there's one thing that this team can hang its hat on, it's the pitching. Because you look at the weekend rotation with with Will Sanders, um, Jack Mahoney coming back has been has been huge. I mean, he's touching 94, 95 with a power sinker. And, and then you have Noah Hall, who was this revelation for them last year, who's continuing to pitch well as their Saturday day guy. And they added a bunch of guys like Eli Jerzenbeck and, and a few other arms as well that have given them a lot of firepower. And I will say in terms of offense, one of their biggest problems last year beyond injuries, pitching injuries was a key issue for them. They lost a lot of arms and that was a big reason why they struggled so much, but they also really struggled to hit for power. Uh, they, they struggled against higher velocity once they got into SEC play. And I know Mark Kingston and his staff really tried to add some bats to this lineup. And so far, they've been matching it. So far, they've been hitting really well. But obviously, now we're headed into SEC play, and we'll, we'll see if they're able to continue that against some tougher pitching. But to this point, they've been the additions that they've added, the big bats that they've added to the lineup have produced. And when you have the kind of pitching staff that they have, you can get that kind of offense. Even if it tapers once again to league play, you know, this is a team that could be dangerous. There's something to be said, too, for just handling the schedule you have in front of you, right? It's really easy to kind of poke holes and, well, who have you played? They ain't played nobody, Paul. But, like, on some level, just dominating that competition says something. And I think there is something to that. I, I wanted to ask you about the offense and whether it's your own observations or just kind of the what's coming out of the coaching staff and the players that, that you've spoken to. What's the confidence level that we're going to they're going to go into SEC play and they, they probably won't you know, it's not going to be the fireworks that they've shown so far because the, the level of pitching is going to jump, but what's the confidence level? This could be an average to maybe at least an average to maybe even above average lineup, which would be a, a huge jump over where they were last year. I think internally the confidence is there uh, from talking to the, the players myself, from, from talking with the coaching staff. I think there is a lot of confidence in this lineup and what it's able to do. I, I think without a doubt, it's deeper than it was a year ago and at least strikes a little more fear um, just in terms of some of the big bodies that they added, like Gavin Casas, for instance. I mean, he's someone that they didn't really have a guy like that in their lineup last year that could really change the game with one swing. So I, I think that there is some legitimacy there and, and that certainly they're confident. Um, that they can continue to hit once they get into conference play. You know, from my own observations, I do have uh, some reservations because I am curious to see how they handle velocity. You know, for for instance, this past weekend against Bethune-Cookman, uh, I, I saw them play the doubleheader Saturday, and it was uh, not not a lot of premium arms out there. Their their second starter was was sitting 80 to 82 with his fastball and uh, couldn't command his changeup at all. So it was only a matter of time before they started teeing off on this guy. So I, I do want to see them against higher velocity, and that's where I do have some reservations. I think the averages will come down. I think power is real. You know, I'm just watching these guys, you know, homer and, and hit these majestic shots. I think the power is really uh, is real. Um, at Ethan Petri, uh, a freshman, has been a huge addition for them. He's a, he's a big donkey of a hitter, just a physical guy. Almost reminds me a little bit of, of – Luke and Baker a little bit while watching him back in, in TCU just with the, the just the big physical body that he has and the power that he has. And he's leading the team for 429 hitting right now, um, right there in terms of on base percentage and slugging, too. So he's been really good. 
Um, Gavin Cassis, who I mentioned earlier, has has been a really nice find. You know, we'll see. He's definitely a guy who's power over hit. So we'll see if, he, you know, he's able to continue. You know, he's batting the 330s now. Not sure that'll continue. But, you know, there's some interesting guys here. Cole Messina has taken a, a nice step forward this year after just a not so great freshman year at the plate. He was pretty lost at the plate for stretches, but he's really come on and found his power. So there's some intriguing pieces there. And then, of course, Braylon Wimmer, who slipped in the draft last year. And he's an interesting case because, he, he told me right before the season and his honesty stood out. He said, Hey, the draft was on my mind last year. I was thinking about the draft and I really lost the love of the game. And so he's come uh, out this year with a, a different mindset. He's been really good so far. And he's, they're starting, starting shortstop, which will not be his position at the next level, but so far it's been, it's been working out. I wonder if this lineup in, the line I'm using, I, so it, it stands to me as, as I just editorialize here, it is better a better lineup than it was last year. I think that is because this lineup would not have done what they've done so far. Last year's lineup would not have done what they've done so far is what I'm saying. 2021 is an interesting comparison, though, because there was some physicality in that lineup, you know, Brady Allen, Wes Clark, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they got to the point late in that season where it was like if they weren't hitting three run home runs, the lineup would get really stagnant. And so to me, that that's kind of actually the, compa the comparison I'll be interested in because that lineup on their good days in 2021 could bury a team, but they would also have days. And I was there for a series against Arkansas. And we remember how that, that was a very good team that year. And Arkansas just really shut them down because the, you know, the ball wasn't, wasn't traveling. They weren't able to elevate and lo and behold, that's, that's the way it went. And so to me, I think that's going to be the, the line there is, is this, is this lineup better than 2021 or is it a lineup that, you know, if, if they're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark, it, are they going to be able to, to score runs against high level, high velocity SEC pitching? Yeah. And, and I think it's a fair question. And I think truly we're not going to know until we, we see them play these games. You know, I will say, um, you know, because you look at their non-conference schedule, it's obviously it hasn't been the, the strongest to this point. I will say when Penn came to town, uh, they they actually had a couple arms uh, who were you know touching low to mid nineties, and the offense did struggle a little bit against them. Their Sunday starter was one of those guys who will hit ninety five, and he's either going to plunk you or strike you out. He had no idea where it was going, and they really struggled with him. There was a lot of swing and miss against him. So I think the comparison to the twenty twenty one lineup is apt, just because. We saw once they got into the regional, I think it was something that they had struck out 35 times in three games or something like that. And they were just really hampered by the swing and miss issues. But the X factor here, though, that we haven't talked about yet is, of course, Monty Lee you know, coming over from Clemson and, and coaching the offense. And I know from what I've heard from players and sort of the vibes around the program, it seems like he has made a very positive impact in working with hitters. And, um, you know, the, his, his teams at Clemson really – had gritty lineups uh, really worked the counts. And, you know, you see that a lot with this South Carolina team as well. Um, they're having a lot of professional bats, fouling a lot of pitches off, things of that nature. So curious to see if that makes a difference as well, having a guy like Monty there who um, is, you know, instilling a, a different approach than maybe they've had in years past. One more question on the lineup before we talk about the, that outstanding pitching staff, you mentioned Ethan Petrie to he, I'll have to, I admit he wasn't someone really on my radar coming into the season, to what extent was he on, first of all, your radar, but also just the radar generally as someone who was, I don't think anybody predicted he was going to be this effective, but how much was he someone who was going to be in the mix to start the season? 
Yeah, you know, he he surprised me a little bit as well, uh, just with obviously you look at the numbers, uh, you know, hitting the guy in front of me, 429, 471 on base, 786 slugging, six homers already. I mean, wasn't expecting that, but he is a guy that has drawn interest um, and a guy that was drawing a little buzz uh, before the season as well. Uh, Mark Kingston had had said at one point that I think it was right before the season, some national cross-checkers came in to uh, watch them take batting practice and they were asking Kingston about Petri like what what about this Petri kid even though he's obviously a freshman and not eligible for the draft for a, a couple of seasons so that that says I think a lot about how people view him and and he's a guy that just you know you watch him uh, step into the box and you think okay this guy can really drill one to the moon he just has that imposing side of size uh, to him but again we, we've seen a lot of freshmen get off to hot starts and then hit that wall once again the conference play I can think most recent example Michael Braswell you know on the South Carolina team where last year he started off hot was was closing games for them was starting shortstop was hitting well and then he slipped further and further down the lineup. And now this year, he's been playing off the bench, you know, behind Braylon when we were at short slap. So we'll have to see if Petri can keep it up against tougher pitchers. But obviously, so far, so good. And the power is legit. There's no question about that because you could just look at the guy and, and, and think, yeah, he's, he's about to crush one. So the power is definitely real. Speaking of tougher pitching, you alluded to it. South Carolina has plenty of its own. I actually want to start by talking about Jack Mahoney, who you mentioned how much of an advantage is it to have him as your Sunday guy? Because I say this about a hundred times a season that the number of college baseball teams, even at the high level who have a really solid Sunday guy and a, even beyond that, even have a pitching plan for Sunday, that's not TBA. We'll see how it goes is pretty small. And yet South Carolina is in an enviable position where at this, at least at this point, they know what they're getting on Sunday. And he's a guy who could pitch on Friday for hundreds of other division one teams. And frankly, they have a couple more arms that could start on Sunday, too. Uh, they're very deep on the mound. And, and it's sort of it's very much the opposite of last year where they were scrambling to, to find anybody to pitch. They're trying out outfielders and trying to, you know, find anyone to, to pitch. I, I think I went back into the looked at the numbers and just on the weekends alone, they had four pitchers account for like 70 percent of their innings or something, something along that those lines. So uh, this year it's a much different story. And, yeah, I think from what I've seen so far from my own just observations, I feel like Mahoney has been the best of their starters. Uh, just in terms of stuff, just in terms of just pure domination. I mean, he's a guy who's just blown it by guys. And what I like about him, in contrast to Will Sanders, who is the Friday starter and has been the Friday starter, is he has a really heavy fastball. It's, it's a very lively fastball. It has some sync to it. And, you know, because of that, I, I think it, it gives him an edge over a guy like Sanders, who, frankly, uh, gave up, I think, 15 home runs last year. Um has kind of a straight fastball. You know, he's a guy who, uh, you know, he could touch 95, 96. He's got a, a swing and miss change up slash splitter, whatever you want to call it. Um, his sliders really developed, but you know, the fastball, he's still, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little straight for me. And I'm curious if that's going to be an issue going forward, especially when you uh, go against uh, bigger, more powerful bats in the SEC. But granted, you know, Sanders, he's pitched well so far, 3.86 ERA. Um, you know, he's a guy who very cerebral on the mound as well. Um, a classic pitcher when you talk to him just has those kind of quirky vibes about him. So I think he'll be okay. That's just something from my own observation, something to watch. And then Noah Hall is just a gamer. Uh, he's a guy I'm convinced Hall is going to be a big league reliever for someone. I don't, I don't think he's a starter, but I think he has the moxie, uh, the command and, and legitimately a, a plus changeup. You know, his changeup 
I heard has a, a higher spin rate than his fastball, um, which is not common. And so um, it's it's a it's a monster pitch, and he also has a cutter that he's added that's been uh, neutralizing as well. So those three guys are, you know, you can put them up there with pretty much probably any rotation out there that they're going to be competitive. And then you have a guy like James Hicks, who was starting for them last year as a transfer. He's looked really good. He's another guy with a heavy fastball, 90 to 92, sweeping breaking ball. He pitched really well against Clemson in relief of Mahoney. And then the the wild card and the X factor is Jerzenbeck um, to see how much he he was a pitch away from an immaculate inning the other night against Bethune Cookman and you know came out with some some swagger and uh, you know Kingston calls him a weapon and he's a guy who you know because of their depth of pitching they don't have to throw him in the rotation right now they can use him out of the bullpen and they can use him in a variety of ways so it sounds like they're going to use both Hicks and Jerzenbeck in that way out of the pen um, if, you know for the time being to be sort of piggyback guys. Um, but and that's not even talking about Kate Austin and Matt Becker. So they they have they have some arms at their disposal. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, a few things there. Like I noticed that today when I was looking at the stat sheet that there are some guys that were being looked at as key cogs in 21 and 22 that just aren't getting innings right now um, because the, the 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 depth they have, which I think says a lot. The other thing that says a lot for me is that you mentioned Will Sanders and he's the most famous guy in that rotation. I mean, I guess we could have that debate, but he was a team USA guy a couple summers ago. Right. And his numbers are, and they're still very good, but his numbers are the worst of the three. Like, I think that's pretty good news when you consider that. I think people were kind of looking at it as like, okay, well you've got Will Sanders and then what else are you going to get? And I think, I think the, the about Jerzenbeck, that's who I was going to ask you about next. I mean, that is a luxury that they can kind of just let him be what he is because I have to admit I came into the season and, and part of this is because Aaron Aaron Fitt saw him really good in the fall and was like hey this guy's going to be a weekend guy I kind of thought you know whether it's okay Mahoney's not quite back and he's actually better in two or three inning stints or you know Noah Hall maybe the magic is gone from last year and and maybe he's more of a swing guy I thought Jerzenbeck would be a guy you look up in May and all of a sudden he's in there. And that still may be injuries happen, whatever, but man, you talk about like, I've seen him and it's a super fast arm. Like he just looks the part, like it's everything you want, but, but you talk about being in a, a position of luxury that you don't have to, like, he can just be what he is and just be that. And that's considering I thought they were going to be in a position to maybe not have to put him in the rotation, but be compelled to do so. The fact that they don't have to do that, I think, kind of speaks volumes about what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who would probably be starting on Fridays for a lot of teams as a as a freshman, just based on his stuff and and obviously big league bloodlines and all of that. But yeah, you know, I think the way that they're using him, and and I think um, Mark Kingston wants to use him this way, is, is a lot like they're using Brett Carey a couple of years ago, where he's a you know a Swiss Army knife that could fill a lot of different roles. He's a guy that you could very easily see when they get to a regional, assuming they get to a regional, you know, he's pitching, uh, starting one of those games. You could, you could very easily see that. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if he works his way into the weekend rotation at some point, like you said, whether it's injury ineffectiveness, whatever it may be, they might flip some things around, but yeah, I think they do. Luxury is the key word because because of the depth they have, they do have that luxury right now where they can kind of bring them along and develop them because he's had some, uh, you know, he, he looked really dominant the other night, but his first outing uh, or maybe second outing, they brought him in into a, a tough situation just to see how he would respond to it. They brought him into a bases loaded, nobody out. 
uh, relief, relief appearance and, and he struggled, you know, he gave up a hit right away. I think he walked the first guy he faced four straight balls. So, you know, he's still, despite the stuff, he's still a kid and still figuring it out. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he develops, but uh, I know uh, Kingston raves about his makeup and how he wanted to be out there in that kind of situation with the bases loaded and all that. So that says a lot about his makeup and Moxie as well. A couple of other things here before we get you out of here. One is that uh, as we record this, and I always give this disclaimer with these these calls, we are we are recording this before South Carolina plays a midweek game, Presbyterian. If something crazy happened to that game that you're wondering why we're not talking about, that's why. Um, so <laughs> we're not it's... we're not going to talk about the Presbyterian perfect game that that happened. <laughs> nope, we're just going to ignore it. We're just going to ignore right. it. Like it was crazy. It was crazy that South Carolina struck out 23 times in that game. But yeah, we're just, we're just going to ignore it. And then like the 500 foot home run that one Presbyterian guy hit, that was pretty yeah. nuts, but no, we're just going to ignore it. That was wild. When, um, the, when the raccoon ran on the field. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know it was, it was a lot. <laughs> it was, they didn't have to, they didn't have to sacrifice the recruit on the field like that though. I feel like they could have done that in private. Like that was kind of gross. Like they probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, probably, but, probably not. But that's, that's for another podcast. That's okay. correct. Maybe next time we have you on, we'll break that down in more detail. But regardless, uh, so as we're recording this this morning, news came out that in 2025, when Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC, the schedule format is going to flip. First thing is that it's divisions are going away. It's going to be single table. If you're a soccer fan, you'll be familiar with that kind of format uh, with the, the European leagues. Um, also. In terms of the schedule rotation, each team will get two permanent opponents, and then the other eight series will cycle through everyone else. So, um, put you on the spot a little bit here, Mike, but just what is your feeling on? Let's do look at this two ways. Who do you think the fan base would want, maybe, as those two permanent opponents, and then what do you think makes the most sense ultimately? Yeah. So, yeah, we were we were talking about this a little bit, but before we went on, and I, I do think it's interesting just because. South Carolina, at least in baseball, doesn't necessarily have that natural rival uh, within the SEC uh, like it does with Clemson, obviously Clemson and the ACC. Um, so they, they couldn't factor into that here. But, uh, you know, I think fans uh, you know, would, uh, to a degree, probably want maybe the, an easier opponent than some of the tougher guys, you know, just to, to make it sort of an easier path uh, into the postseason. Uh but at the same time, you know, I think I think fans would probably enjoy there's there's a lot of, of venom for UGA uh, in the state and a lot of uh, hatred for Georgia. I could see Georgia being a potential rival, especially because they have Georgia Tech uh, in the ACC, similar situation as South Carolina. I think that can make sense. Uh, I, I do think that there's a lot of there. There might be some uh, desire among fans to maybe, you know, have Tennessee be one of those rivals. You know, there's some hatred toward Tennessee um, and, and other sports as well. So. Uh, the, those those stand out as as two potential options there, but I'm sure fans wouldn't mind if it was someone like Mizzou or or or, or something like that. Not a you know not one of the perennial powers uh, in, in the SEC. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see what they decide on that. You know, especially with Clemson being in another league, I know they'll they'll maintain that rivalry for sure, uh, no matter what. The other interesting point that we don't know, of course, the details on is what they'll do with the SEC tournament. And it it seems to make too much sense almost that you could just do four pods of four teams and do basically the ACC tournament format. Just you'd have to you know shift it a little bit because it's 16 teams. So that, that seems like the most obvious answer, which is to say that it probably won't be just because that tends to be the way these things work out. But that'll be fascinating because there's a 
you have 16 teams in the conference and there, there might be enough teams. If you cut it off at 12 teams, 13 and 14 in a 16 team SEC might have uh, a chance to play their way into the field. Right. So anyway, that's, that's an issue for another time, but it is something else to kind of fund a noodle on and think about the, the permutations there. Last thing for you, Mike, um, Georgia this weekend for the Gamecocks. Um, I don't know how much you, you've dug into it just yet, but just generally, what are you, what are you kind of expecting from this series against the Bulldogs? Yeah, well, I, I think it's it's obviously this is really the first test that, that we're going to see uh, for this team on the road. Um, you know, they've been playing primarily at home. They've, they played Clemson in the, the annual rivalry series. So that's probably the most comparable uh, to what we've seen. And they've lost at Clemson in, in that first game. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see how how they play in another environment. You know, I do think just based on how their pitching lines up, I think they have as good a chance as anybody to win, to win this series, just because of uh, just the length that these guys can give them and, and the wealth of options that they have. So I, I think it's really going to come down to, to pitching uh, more than anything. And and I would give South Carolina the edge just because of what I've seen from their pitching staff. But I know for me, what I'm watching more than anything is I'm bearing down on their bats and seeing how they respond um, to better pitching, because that, that's going to say a lot about this team going forward, how they respond, you know, against some of these better arms and guys that aren't just laying 80 to 81 mile per hour fastballs right down the middle. Yeah. Liam Sullivan has some of the better numbers on the Georgia staff, but I'm interested in the matchup of Jaden Woods against the South Carolina lineup because his, his go-to pitch is a fastball that like coaches describe that it looks like it's going to end up at your, your belt and it ends up above your letters. Cause it's just got that, you know, the IVB where it just looks like it's taken off on you. Um, and for a team that's looking to elevate the baseball, like that can be a little bit of catnip, that elevated fastball that looks like it's it's going to be hittable that suddenly, oh crap, it's not. So that'll be an interesting matchup there. I'm with you. Two very good, on paper, very good offenses. I saw Georgia in person a couple weekends ago and it's not the flashiest offense. And there's not huge start, like there's not a Wyatt Langford level famous guy in the lineup for Georgia, but my goodness, they can swing. Uh, so that I think it's going to be fascinating. I don't know what the weather's looking like in Athens, but if it's warm and you know the weather's the weather's nice, like that, that could there could be a lot of runs scored even in, with the quality of pitching that we'll see out there. So I think it's among it's it's not the highest profile series this weekend in the SEC, but it might be among the the most fascinating for the reasons you uh, you laid out there. So uh, Mike, appreciate you joining us again. Good stuff. I'll, I'm sure we will talk to you again down the road. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always love talking college baseball. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. Uh, I appreciate you having me. That is going to do it for this edition of Highway to Hoover. Thanks again to Michael Lanana for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at mlanana, M-L-A-N-A-N-N-A. It rhymes with orange if that helps you uh, <laughs> figure it out there. Uh, subscribe to the state newspaper. Uh, first off, the, I say this every time, but the local beat writers for me, are extremely helpful in doing my job because they're doing a lot of on-the-ground reporting that's really, really crucial to, to me understanding the SEC. If you're a fan, he will make you a more informed fan as you follow South Carolina baseball and all the sports on campus at South Carolina. While you're subscribing to things, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to SEC Extra over at d1baseball.com. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you all soon. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. <laughs> Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.